0: We are bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor Doug shares his message on week two of The Grace of Redemption. The premise of this series is that we all think we know God. Many of us have spent our lives growing up in faith, we've read the Bible, and so we have this image of God. And yet, much like an iceberg, we've barely scratched the surface. And if we truly understood God the way he has been trying to reveal himself to us, we would be overwhelmed with this greatness that is far beyond our comprehension. And this week I wanna look specifically at what it means to, to understand or have revealed to us the 90% of God that we miss, especially in the face of disaster, pain, and suffering. It's especially crucial right now, right, as we're, we're on a full year now of coronavirus and, and a pandemic. The death toll, the official count recently passed half a million. But aside from those numbers, I'm sure there's no one here that hasn't known at least one person who's passed due to coronavirus, COVID-19. We've experienced not just the loss of life, but the strain on our own lives and resources as we've dealt with job stress and tension, uh, relationships that have been shut down as a result of social distancing. It's been interesting to me as we're in a principal search for our school right now to to discover as we go out and we look how many principals are just retiring this year. That they've lived through this year of trying to keep a school going and they've just said, you know what, I'm done. This is too hard, it's too painful, time to just check out. And so what does it mean to grapple with a God who is supposedly good, who supposedly wants good things for us, when, when our whole world has had to push through a global disaster. How are we called to respond and understand God in the midst of this pain and suffering? Now, there's a pretty standard way that I've heard hundreds of times over my lifetime, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, that when we're confronted with pain, suffering, and disaster, the knee-jerk Christian response is generally it's okay, this is all part of God's plan. And I know that we say this out of, out of well intent, we're trying to comfort and reassure people, but this is actually not a great picture of God, if you think about it, right? This is, this is the 10% of the iceberg of God. There, there's something really, really wrong about this, and 10% of the iceberg, that's enough to be deadly. That's enough to sink ships. And that if this is the picture of God, that God has a plan that involves, uh, at this point, millions of people around the world dying, if God has a plan that involves pain and suffering, that doesn't reflect all that well on God. This kind of a God, frankly, sounds pretty crappy. And this is not a new problem. This, is, this has been a problem for thousands and thousands of years, all of human history. I think it's best summed up by David Hume. David Hume is an 18th century enlightenment philosopher who greatly influenced our own founding fathers. And he summed up this problem with this idea that this is all part of God's plan. He summed it up pretty well. He said, look, this Christian God, if this God is willing to prevent evil, but he's not able to, well, then he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. Or maybe he is all-powerful, maybe he is able to stop evil, he's just not willing. Well, then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing, the way Christians seem to say that he is? Then we got a problem, because then from whence comes evil. And so when we settle for this 10% version of God, we settle for something that's incomplete, because if this is what we have... If what we have is a God who is able to stop evil and yet doesn't, as we can see all around us, then this isn't a good God. This God is malevolent. This God himself is not good. He's evil. So we have to come up with a better answer to this problem of evil, disaster, suffering than just this is all part of God's plan. Because if that's the answer, I don't really like that God. I don't know that I would want to spend my life worshiping that God. So as we wrestle with this this morning, I want to start with just, just one thing, it, it, just to, to really kind of draw a line in the sand with you now: that disaster, suffering, pain is not part of God's plan for you. God did not choose to inflict suffering on you. God did not choose for your loved one to die. God did not intend for that relationship to be broken. God did not want you to experience rejection. God did not inflict trauma upon you. I promise you that he did not. Now before we go anywhere else this morning, we start there. God did not do these things. Those were not part of his plan for you that when we look at those things, we can see some pretty clear agents behind them, that it's the works of the devil, it's the sin of fellow broken humanity, that there are these systemic reasons why these things happen, but they were not God's intent for you and for your life, I promise. But it doesn't help us with the the ultimate question, because then the question still just becomes, but then why didn't he protect me from it? Even if he didn't intend it for me, even if he didn't choose it, it wasn't his plan, God could have stopped it why didn't he? And when we ask that, we're much like the woman Maggie uh, in a book that's a really powerful book and they made it into a movie called Joshua. And in this, the book and movie, the premise is, is, what if Jesus came back today and was just kind of walking around and interacting with people the way he did 2000 years ago? And in that story, Joshua, the Jesus figure, is confronted with Maggie, a young woman who lost her husband tragically. And as he's talking with her about her life and her grief, this is how the scene goes. Miss my husband, and um, it's so confusing. I, my life is a mess. Your life's not a mess, Maggie. Your life is beautiful. My life was beautiful. It was great. It was whole. Now. That is my life, and it can't be fixed. When your life is smashed into a thousand pieces on the floor. The answer is not, this was God's plan for you. We have to change the metaphor. And so whether you're someone that's trying to talk with a woman like Maggie, or whether you're someone who's experiencing it for yourself now, we've got to find a different way to engage with God. We've got to look at how he truly reveals himself to us. And so here's what I'd like to explore with you today. That God has something bigger than a plan for your life. God has a story. You see plans, these are the works of architects, this is blueprint and, and, and specs, but that's, that's too black and white, that's mechanical, that's not, that's not this organic thing that God's trying to create for us. And so the first premise I wanna say with you today is that God is not merely the original architect, the one who created the universe and everything that's in it. God is also the original author. And that God didn't just create, make creation as some amazing wonderful playground, he also filled it with people to live amazing lives of adventure and story. That God created you, he created me to have stories of meaning and purpose and this goes beyond any sort of of, um, clinical plan. But here's the thing about stories. Think about every story that you've known and love. Picture your favorite story. There is no good, meaningful, true story that doesn't involve disaster. Not only involve it, it generally starts with it. That the start of a true, meaningful story is always something bad. Picture every Disney movie ever. There's a reason all the main characters are orphans. Or have their parents killed or, or lost some point in the first 10 minutes. Because that's the quickest way to start a story of power uh, and, and fulfillment. Or think of it, the, the flip side, I talk about this with my kids a lot, think about uh, reading a story where nothing bad ever happened to someone. Think about reading a story about a young young kid who woke up on time for school and breakfast was just ready and then they went to school and everybody at school liked them. And then they, they had practice after school or they had a game and they, they scored the winning goal and, and, and they always won every game they ever played and, 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 right, and just everything that, that went, happened went well. That would be the most boring story to read. We wouldn't want to read that story. And and just as true, I think, is that we wouldn't want to live that story either. We think we would. We think we'd want a story where everything just goes well, where everything's perfect. And yet, I, I don't think we ultimately would. And one of the reasons I think that is because when you look at all of the myths that cultures have told for as long as we have recorded human history, all great stories, no matter what culture you're in, have some same principles and truths, which is that goodness, happiness, fulfillment only come on the other side of pain and suffering. Joseph Campbell is the world-renowned expert on the monomyth, and he's the one that really pointed this out. He's saying that there's there's something true, something deeper than any culture, any surface thing that you talk about, which is that there are just some true things that, that can't just be something that humans made up, that there's something that the principles of the universe, the way eternity works that the only good stories are the ones that start with pain and suffering and that show someone overcoming them. And he calls this the monomyth, but my reflection is this, that that's not an accident, that's not a coincidence. It's that every human story ever is an echo of this one great divine story. And that we, with our individual stories, our stories find meaning and purpose only within the context of that greater divine story that God invites us into. And so today, I want to look at just a real brief summary of this divine story that God invites us to live our stories in. And we're going to cover... In Relatively brief time. We're going to go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and we're going to look at at the scope of God's story and what that then means for you and me as we live our lives and as we try to navigate the pain and the suffering that's going on in our lives right now. And so let's start with Genesis, right? So, Genesis, this is God the architect. The Lord God, He'd made everything, and it was all good. And then He planted a garden in the east called Eden, and there He put the man that He had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. It was perfect. It was everything you would want a good architect to be. It was everything according to plan. But then God did something really, really interesting. He did this. God said, let us now make mankind in our image, in our likeness, And over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, almost immediately after creating this playground, he filled it with us. But not just as passive receivers of this good thing that he had made. He made us for some reason in his image. And that one term, that we are in the image of God, that means so many things. There's just so many facets of what that could mean for us and for our lives. There's one specific facet of that I want to focus on today. That by making us in his image, God has invited us to become co-writers of the story of creation. That what does it mean that we are the image bearers of God? That we are now co-authors, not just of our individual stories, but of the story of creation. Wow. Why would God do this? The short answer is, I don't know. I, I can speculate on it a little bit with you today, but, but what a profound truth that God gave us the power, the authority, the agency that we are now co-creators in this playground that he made for us. That he didn't just uh, you know, uh, do it all himself and say, this is just me, I'm gonna dictate how everything goes, I'm gonna be coercive, I'm gonna be controlling. He says, no, I want you to co-write the story with me. And of course, we know the predictable results of that choice. This is like when I tell my five-year-old, hey, I want, I want you to help me make dinner. You know how that's going to go. We're gonna make dinner and stuff is going to be a complete mess. She's gonna make an absolute disaster of it. And that's exactly what happened, right? Almost the first authorial choice that humanity made was they said, you know what, we don't actually think God's intentions for the course of this story are good. We wanna chart our own course. We wanna reject the things that God has invited us to be a part of and they sinned in the garden. And their story that they co-wrote for creation involved the fall of creation, a breaking of this beautiful playground. And so you have to ask the question, why would God do that? Why, why would he put this tree in the Garden of Eden knowing that it would be a means for them to write a different story than what he intended for them? Why didn't he just undo the choice even after they'd made it? And I go back to that image of inviting that kid to help you make dinner because what is the alternative If you have them work on making dinner with you, they're going to make a mess of it. It's not going to be this pristine kitchen moment that it would be if it was just you by yourself. But what is the alternative? The alternative is you don't ever let them help. You don't ever let them make dinner and then you're gonna have a grown-up someday who has no idea how to make anything for themselves. And so why would God choose to invite us to be co-authors of his creation? Why did he choose to let us partner in writing a story knowing full well that we would mess that story up? This is not just a theoretical question for me. In fact, this is a pretty personal question for me. Uh, I'd been working in youth ministry for over a decade when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant with our first child. And as someone who'd been in youth ministry, I knew the devastating and harrowing statistics of what it was like to be a young girl in our society. I knew the rates of assault. I knew the perils that, that, that waited for women in our culture. I'd heard the stories from the young girls that I ministered to and worked with day in and day out. And when I found out that my wife was pregnant, I was terrified that it would be a girl. And if you had asked me, I would have said, I would rather not have kids than bring a girl into this world knowing the pain and the evil that is so likely to befall her in a way that it just statistically isn't for boys. And because God is not just a co-author, but he's also got a sense of humor. Of course, we had a girl. And 11 years later, here's what I can tell you. I still live in fear of the dangers and the evils that might befall her. But I've also experienced 11 years of getting to witness her story. And if the choice now was between not even letting her live a story with all of the potential things that could go wrong or getting to share in the joy that she has brought to this world and all of the other people around her, I would choose to let her have her story. And this is why David Hume gets it wrong. This is why that phrase that, oh, this is just part of God's plan is insufficient. Because plans are about black and white and specifications and and, and things just being mechanical. Stories are about joy and delight. And that if if any of my children never saw life or never began to live anything, yes, a lot of evil and pain and suffering would be spared. But we would all miss out on the joy that their stories would bring. See, here's the point. Every life brings delight to this world. Your story makes the world immeasurably richer. And so why did God choose to let us be co-authors? I have to think it's because he knew that the joy and the delight would far outweigh the evil and the pain. And that in the moments that we're going through the disaster, it's so tempting, it's so easy to say, oh, this was his plan, and and we have to stop saying that because we have to to really grapple with the fact this is not part of his plan, This is a cost that we have chosen, but that will result ultimately in more delight and joy in the world than if our story hadn't existed. And here's how I know this. Because there are things that my daughter will have to go through throughout her life and some of them she's just gonna to need to get through. She's gonna have skinned knees, she's gonna have broken relationships and, and those are just gonna to happen to her and those are gonna be things that make her story richer and more fuller. They're gonna develop her and make her a, a better person. But there are also things in this life that I still would give everything in my power to spare her from. That if there were a truck gunning towards her, I would dive in the way I would do anything I could to spare her the worst consequences. So even though there's going to be some pain in her life, there's going to be some suffering, I would not let anything happen to her that would bring her story to a tragic end. I would take a bullet to keep her life and her story moving forward. And that's not just me. That's what God's done for us that when he watched us make this choice in the garden, when even now he watches you and me make decisions for our story that he knows are not gonna end well for us, he doesn't undo them, he doesn't make them not count, he doesn't coercively control us and prevent us from making mistakes, but he does throw himself in front of the bus so that our mistakes can't ruin our life or make it end in death. One of God's prophets, Isaiah, he says it this way, He says that when God saw the story that we were choosing to write for ourselves, all of the pain and the death that it was bringing on us, he chose to become a human and live right alongside us. And this is how Isaiah described Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, and became himself familiar with pain and disaster. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But in fact, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was now on him and by his wounds we received healing. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, tries to write our own story, and so the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Once he invited us to be co-authors of creation, God honored that choice. He didn't undo it. He didn't make our decisions not count anymore. He didn't try to control our actions, he could only control his actions. And so instead of this picture of God being some sort of Machiavellian chess master who's moving pieces on a board and he's willing to sacrifice a knight for the sake of some end game against the devil, the only sacrifice God was ever willing to make was himself so that you and I could win the game so that you and I can have a story that transcends any bad things that might happen in it. This has been a hard year for me. I know it's been a hard year for you. But the thing that's kept me going, and that's kept me putting one foot in front of the other, is that every step of the way, I have God's actions right there in front of my sight that when it's tempting in these moments of hardship to think that maybe I messed up, maybe this is my fault, maybe God's punishing us for something that that we did, maybe that's what this pandemic is, And, and to just remember, remember, remember that God willingly endured disaster and suffering of his own. He made a choice to put himself right in the thick of it. He didn't have to. He could have stayed up in heaven just kind of judging our stories from way up there. Instead, he entered into it. He willingly put himself in a position where he knew he would be tortured to death. Because he knew that by that act of pain and suffering, by this this one moment of co-authorship that he chose for himself, he could change our stories forever. And so when I'm tempted to feel a little too sorry for myself, there are a few things that this truth does for me. First is it just helps me keep my own tragedy in perspective. I've gone through hard things and you have too. But up till now, Lord willing, I've never had to go through being tortured to death for a day the way he did, which means he knows it just as much as I do. He's felt that pain and suffering as much as I am right now. But not only that, I'm reminded that God is in fact the co-author of my story That as much as I think it's on me alone, that the burden is fully on my shoulders to protect my children, to lead my wife well, to to do my job and all the things that are expected and demanded of me, it feels like I'm the one doing it alone. I'm not. God is right here in it with me. And he's not ever promised to undo the bad things that happened, but what he has done is he's promised to make something new out of them. And God's in fact even given each of us, you and me, a glimpse of the ending of our story. See, we started in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, but we've been told what the end of the story looks like, and it's not going back to Eden. It's going forward to something even greater. This is from the book of Revelation, where we see the grace of God's redemption, Revelation chapter 21. Here's how God's kindness is described there. Then I, this is the Apostle John, he said he saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea or turbulence. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God is making everything new. God doesn't throw out the mess ups, he doesn't throw out the mistakes, he doesn't start over and and reset the garden with a new Adam, you know, Adam beta and Eve beta. He takes the choices we make He takes the lives that we live, the stories that we've chosen to write, and he finds ways with his own actions to make them new. And he never promised to undo the tragedies, the disasters that happened to us, but what he does promise is that he will not waste them, that they will contribute in some way to a greater, more redemptive story for our life than we ever could have imagined before he won't undo the pain that caused our tears, but it, by the end of our story, our tears will be wiped away. We will be comforted. He will have made something new of our life that we never could have dreamed of left to our own devices. Remember that woman, Maggie, who lost her husband, who, whose life was shattered like a bowl into hundreds of pieces? This is how God in the form of Joshua responded to her. In fact, I'm glad you're here, because when Joshua left, he gave me something for you. He Said he made it. Not bad, huh? Why amazing? The guy takes a million pieces of broken glass and makes something beautiful out of it. Something whole. He doesn't restore the bowl to what it used to be. He makes something better out of the bowl. He makes something whole and beautiful and new. And this isn't just a promise in the Bible. This isn't just something for one character in a story. This is for you and me who are the image bearers and children of God, who he has invited to be co-authors of creation with. See, John, that same apostle that wrote Revelation, he also wrote this in a letter. He said, look, we are now the children of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And the reason the world doesn't know us or recognize us is because it didn't know or recognize him. But then here's the point, dear friends, Now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. What we will be has not yet been made known. I do not know what story you are writing with God right now. You don't either. But what that story will be is amazing. What that story will be is you being transformed into something new. What that story will be is that disaster and tragedy and even death itself cannot bring your story to a tragic ending. Because God's written something better for you. And there is nothing that can undo or derail the good intentions God has for your story. We can throw wrenches in the plan all day long, and we do, it's what we've done for all of human history, but God will not let the wrench derail the redemptive, transformative story that he's inviting you to write with him every single day of your life. See, here's the point, is that no tragedy, no disaster can disqualify your story from the happy ending that God has promised you. It can only make God's promised redemption greater. The harder the things that happen to you, the more opportunity God has to show you that 90% of his power. The redemption that he wants to create for you every moment of your life. And so in those disasters, in those pain, in those tragedies, don't settle for this bumper sticker version of God that says it's all part of his plan. Rest in the truth that God delights in your story so much that he was willing to let you be a part of writing it with him that he was also willing to sacrifice himself to make sure that nothing you could do would ever truly separate you from the happy ending he has for you for me for all of us who are his children his image makers in this story of creation amen let's pray Lord God, right here, right now, I submit myself to you. To the story that you desire to write for my life. A story not where everything is easy, where everything goes according to some plan. But a story where your mercy and love and kindness is evident through every detail of my life. And so Lord, I pray right now with boldness, not that you would protect me from pain, But that you wouldn't waste my pain. That you would use it to change and grow me. That you you would use it to bring redemption, not just in my life, but in the lives of others around me. And Lord, that all we who are your image bearers, your children, that we would write something beautiful and new with you at our backs. We pray this trusting in your name. Amen.